The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So we're going through our study through the Gospel of Luke, and you may have noticed we just skipped um, 14 chapters, light speed. It's not because I didn't want to deal with all those wonderful things. It's because today is a historic day for historic and global Christianity, right? You know what today is? You can maybe guess. Palm Sunday, that's right. And so uh, it's an incredibly important day for uh, Christian tradition and celebration. But we have to admit, don't we, uh, that even still for me, maybe for modern listeners, it sounds kind of strange to think of people waving palms for Jesus. You maybe remember a day back in Sunday school where you did that and you're still wondering why. Um, To make it even more strange for us this morning, you may have noticed that Luke didn't mention any palms. They're not in his story. In his story, people are laying down their coats in front of Jesus. So I guess we could have called it Coat Sunday. What do you think about that? See, you know, that was, uh, I think, the church decorating committees of uh, historical Christianity were like, no, no Coat Sunday because it just wouldn't look the same. Um, Either way, right, there's lots of symbolism going on. The big question, though, is why? What is happening? Why are people doing this, whether it's palms or coats? And the the main point, as we unpack the symbolism, we'll see, the main point is obvious. Here in this most public of moments, Jesus is explicitly and clearly claiming to be king. Jesus is claiming to be king. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. He's claiming to be king. And so really, this is what we have to consider this morning as we look at this passage. Jesus is saying to each one of us, unless you, unless you have me as king, you don't really have me. Unless I'm your hope as your king, you have no hope. So do you see his claim? He's going to say to the city, basically, crown me or kill me. And that really, through this text, is what he's saying to each one of us. Will you have me as your king? And so our goal today, as we look at the story, is to see Jesus as king. And and there's a few aspects here I think we want to point out. Number one, we want to see him as the ultimate king. The ultimate king, the best king ever, a unique king, the ultimate king. The second thing we want to see about Jesus is that he's a humble king. He's a humble king. The third thing we're going to see about Jesus is that he's the Savior King. And then lastly, we want to think about what it means for him to be your king. So we're thinking about Jesus as king, ultimate king, humble king, Savior King, your king. Let's start with the story. First, if you've been following through Luke, you know that in this story, what's happening is the Feast of Passover. Have you heard of that before? The Feast of Passover the Feast of Passover, where literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people would swarm into the city of Jerusalem for the week. They would swarm. So the city would be full. It's, it's way over capacity. There's tents all around, just people in every corner staying here, staying there. Everybody is coming to the city to celebrate this feast. And this feast has huge significance politically, religiously, Traditionally, they're all coming in offering thousands and thousands of sacrifices in the temple, and they're celebrating how God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. 
And also there's this underlying hope that God will rescue again out of slavery under the hand of Rome. So Israel's occupied right now. It's a, it's a fake king. It's a puppet king. They're under the hand of Caesar. They don't rule themselves. They're taxed out of their minds. There's oppression. It's, it, they, they want out. They're, they want freedom. And so there's this remembering of how God saved us before and this hope that he'll do that again. Will he rescue us? So there's all these people here. It's just simmering. Not only is the city simmering about Passover, the city is simmering about Jesus. So he's at the height of his ministry. The crowds are just flurious, and everybody knows it. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so everybody's looking at Jesus, and you know the question uh, um, on everybody's mind, and the word on everybody's lips is, maybe this one's the Messiah. Maybe he's the king who will bring us this liberation and salvation we're looking for. Maybe he's the one. And so you've got all the height and the tension of what it means to have Passover in Jerusalem, and then all the height and the tension of Jesus and his persona and who he is, and then you get this story. Back in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's been on the march, and he's walked the entire way. I don't remember how many miles. It's a long walk. He's walked the entire way, and now all of a sudden, he says, it's time for a ride. And did you, did you hear the story? It's really kind of a strange story. Imagine you're one of Jesus' followers, and he says, you know, he says to two of you, hey, the little village over there, will you go in there and grab me a donkey? Not just any donkey. I want a young donkey who's never been ridden. Okay. The donkey store, do you have some cash? No, no. You'll see it. And then when you see it, just untie it, bring it to me. Just take it? Yeah. What if the people don't want us to take their donkey? The king. Okay. How many of you are ready to go on that trip? Anybody feeling a little uh, insecure? So you're walking into the village and there's a donkey (laughs) and a cult of a donkey. And so you, (laughs) right, wouldn't you... You start untying it, and of course the owner comes out. What are you doing with my donkey? And then you, it's, just, it's just like it was scripted. The Lord has need of it? Oh, okay. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> and so you untie the donkey, and you're taking it back to Jesus, and now he's going to ride, and, it, and literally you go up over this over this mountain hill, and then you see the sun shining and the temple's gold-plated, it's Herod's temple, and if you get over this hill and you see uh, Jerusalem and its temple, and it's just glowing in the sun, and it's the feast of Passover and everything's just electric, and that's how Jesus is going into the city. First thing, first question I wanna ask you, who's in control of the situation? Jesus, is he in control of his message? Is he in control of the timing? Is he in control of the situation? Is there anything happening here that's on accident? Or, oh, I didn't think of that. He's absolutely in control. Folks, this is the ancient picture of the coronation of a king after a great victory. This is the picture of a coronation of a king after a great victory. The crowds are going to follow, shouting his name. He's going to ride into the city. 
with the crowd following, and everybody would see, everybody would know. It's like having whoever for president, 2,000 whatever bumper stickers on your, on your car. That it's, it's on the donkey, I guess. Um, he's claiming to be king, and he's not just claiming to be any king. Look at this prophecy from Zechariah written 500 years beforehand. 500 years. Look at what Zechariah wrote. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Do what? Rejoice. How much? A lot, right? This is, this is it. Be very, very happy. Be very happy. Why? Oh, and what does that look like? Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, why should you be happy? Your king is coming, the one you've been waiting for. Not just any king, the ultimate king. Look what he's like. Righteous and having salvation. So finally a king who's righteous. Is anybody ready for a leader who isn't about the politics, who isn't, who isn't about hurting people? Are you ready for a leader who actually has character and can lead with justice and help people, everyone, thrive? How long, O oh Lord? This is the one. He's righteous. Are you ready for a leader who can set you free from oppression and from villainy? He's righteous in having salvation. This is the ultimate king. This is the one who can do it. Oh, and by the way, what's he riding? A donkey. Not only that, the foal of a donkey. What is Jesus saying? That's me. That's what he's saying. I'm the ultimate king, and I'm coming into my city. And the crowds, they understand, don't they? Look at verse 6. As he rode along, what are they doing with their cloaks? They spread their cloaks on the road. Why? What, what does that mean? You could probably imagine it. Even now, what do we do for the Oscars or something for the real special people as they come? Red carpet, right? Red carpet. Here's the red carpet. But the red carpet in this case is my clothing. So it's a really huge symbolism of I am submitted to you. I belong to you. Whatever you want, you take it. I will take the clothes off my back and put them under my king. That's what they're saying. You are my king. Not only so, look at what they're shouting and, and singing in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. This is God's king, God's ultimate king. Finally, we get peace, shalom, we can thrive, and glory. God's, God's coming close through this king. He's the king. Do they get it? Sort of, at least, but they know what he's saying, right? What's he saying? I'm king. Hey, everybody, listen up. What does Jesus claim to be here in this moment? King. How do the religious leaders feel about this? Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, what? Rebuke your disciples. So interesting. What are they willing to call Jesus? What title are they happy to give him? Teacher, okay, it's just like modern, modern it's just like today, right? It's just like today. If I asked you, we go ask somebody on the street, what do you think of Jesus? I've almost, I don't think I've ever met anyone who thought he was wicked or crazy. That, that almost never happens in my experience. Maybe it has for you. 
most people will say, oh, well, he's a good teacher. Kind of a, hey, we have to be logical enough to realize he's a good teacher. But doesn't it kind of keep him at a safe distance? He's a safe teacher, which means, hey, some of the things he said are really helpful for my life. I, I heard from somebody who said, I grew up atheist and my mom just lived by the golden rule. That always spins me for a top. Why would you live by the golden rule if you're an atheist? We didn't get there. But she did say we live by the golden rule. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting, guess who? Jesus. He's a good teacher. And the Pharisees there in the moment are saying, hey, teacher, you're a good teacher. But you're getting too big for your britches. And your disciples are going crazy. Why? Because what are the disciples saying about him? He's the ultimate king. And so the, so, so the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, whoa, slow down. We're okay with you as a good teacher. Your disciples are getting too, too big for the britches, too crazy about you, saying you're the, God's ultimate king. Tell them, tell them the truth. Tell them you really are just a good teacher. And what does Jesus say to them and to the world? Is he going to rebuke his disciples? He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He's saying the very heart of creation, the globe, the material world, knows me as king. The natural world knows me as king. What kind of a king is this? What kind of a king is this? It's the king who made everything. Can you tease, if you've read the Bible, you're familiar with the scriptures, have you heard this kind of theme? Romans 8, creation's groaning, waiting for the king to come. Or look at this text in Isaiah 55, verse 12. Isaiah 55, verse 12. This great promise of what it'll be like when the king reigns. Isaiah 55, 12, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Does that sound all right to you guys? You want to be there? The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Even the created order knows Jesus somehow as king. He's the ultimate king. And then he basically says to the Pharisees, if you don't see me as king, you're dumber than a rock. If you don't see me as the ultimate king, he's saying, if you won't sing to me as the ultimate king who's going to bring joy and peace, the one who knows what life is all about, you're dumber than a rock. Can you see why they were so angry at him? <laughs> He's saying in this moment, crown me or kill me. What's the middle ground he's leaving? Because some of us, right, some of you, if you look back in your life, I look at my heart, aren't you kind of hoping for the middle ground? He's too nice, he's too good, I know I kill him. But to call him king of my life, where's the middle ground where I can be like kind of a casual know he's a good person, kind of a good person, kind of middle ground. And what is Jesus saying as he enters the city? There's no middle ground. I'm the king. Crown me or kill me. Uh, how do you feel about that? 
Modern people have funny relationship with kings, especially we're, we're Americans, right? What do we think of kings? Down with kings, right? We like, hey, and I'm sympathetic to that. Um, history is full of brutality from individuals with too much power. I'm not re- there, there's one king I'm ready for. Um, we want our freedom too, don't we? Do you want a king who's telling you uh, what to think, how to live? We have a problem with kings, and yet I think, I think if, you, if you'll follow me on this, even though we don't like kings, we sure romanticize them. Uh, two illustrations. Anybody see the movie Black Panther? Okay. If you haven't seen it, you're like the only people in the world <laughs> who haven't seen it. And let me, let me tell you the core of the story. The true king comes back to save the day and not only lead his people, but lead the world in righteousness and justice. Did you notice that? That's what the story's about. Why do we long for that? Uh, how about uh, Lord of the Rings? Anybody heard of that one? What are we hoping for? The true king, the return of the king, our hearts. If you look at all our mythology, all our hopes, we're waiting for the one who can come to save us. Uh, not only that, we, we romanticize kings, we also idolatrize them. So every once in a while, I look on my phone to read the news. And, uh, and this week, if you were following, what day was it, about Tuesday or Wednesday, one of the top news stories they wanted to tell me was about the kind of paper and kind of ink Meghan Markle is using to send her royal invitations out. <laughs> right? What's on the cover of People magazine? Look, Prince, why do we care? And some of you, you're like, I don't care. Okay. But uh, are you willing to admit there's a lot of people who do? Looking at this royal family. Or even more, even though we have problems with kings, we romanticize kings, we idolatrize kings, every election cycle, don't we kind of put messianic hopes on these people? This is the one. Finally, we found the one. And I've... It, it doesn't matter which political party, okay? Both sides really love this messianic thing. This will be the one who finally, whatever, okay? Save us, oh Messiah. Yeah, right. Do you realize what Jesus, is, do, you, do you see what's in the human heart? All over the place. Longing for the great king, can't find it. Guess what Jesus is saying to the world? The reason you long for it isn't it yet is because you're looking everywhere else other than me. I'm the ultimate king. That's what he's claiming. So the big question now is, can you trust him? Are you listening? Can you trust Jesus to be your king? That's where we want to see him as a humble king. By the way, before we get to that, um, do you think it's true that you already have a king? Who's your king? What's your king? I, I, wanna, I, I just want to throw this out there. You serve something. You serve something. Almost to the point of slavery. What is it that has your identity if I just can do this, 
And you spend a lot of time on that. And you have to be there. And you spend a lot of money on that. And it's got your mind and your heart and your emotions. You want to say, hey, I'm free. And an outsider looking in who maybe isn't into that same exact thing might say, really? How free are you? Is it treating you well? Look at the kind of king Jesus is. You know, for his day, right, he chose to ride on a donkey. We see that. Do you remember uh, in the book of Revelation what Jesus is riding in when he comes back? Remember what he's riding? It's a horse, a white stallion, okay? Now, you can, this is not hard to imagine. If you're riding into battle, would you like to ride a baby donkey or a, or a white stallion, okay? How many of you are like, oh, I'm totally going with baby donkey, you know? It's like... Your feet are dragging on the ground, you know, and you, got, you, you can't even do it. You, you ride into war on a stallion, of course. Why is he riding a baby donkey who's never been broken? The message is clear. If you remember back in Zechariah, he's humble, mounted on a donkey. He comes in peace. Now, there's a story of Solomon riding into the city on a donkey because the great thing about Solomon as a king was there was peace. I don't have to ride the tank into the city. I can ride the sedan. I don't have to be on the stallion. I can ride the donkey because there's peace. And so Jesus is saying very clearly, I'm king. And he's also saying, and I'm coming in peace. I'm coming humbly to make peace. Could you trust a king like that? I'm just remembering Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, tired, I'll give you rest. And he says, I'm a kind king. I'm an approachable king. I'll receive you. So imagine with me, you're in this crowd, you're shouting, hey, Jesus is king, it's Passover, you want liberation, you want salvation. Jesus is riding up into the city on his donkey. Where do you think he's gonna go next? He could have gone to Fort Antonia. Have you heard of that? That's where the Roman soldiers were stationed. That would be exciting, wouldn't it? He's got all the crowds. Where would you like him to go? If you're a good, good Jewish lady, you're getting taxed, you're in slavery, where do you want him to go? You want him to go to uh, Fort Antonio, wipe out. If he can do miracles like what he can do, wouldn't you like to see what he could do to a crowd of soldiers? That'd be a good time, right? He'd be like Sauron, just. Uh, or would you like to see him to go to Herod's castle, right? That guy is a crook. Would you like to see him go to Herod's castle and, and wipe him out? Or maybe let's just go, let's go to Pilate's. There's Jews crucified on the streets. Wouldn't you like to see Jesus go there? He's king. Let's see him go somewhere and bring a victory. Well, guess where he's going to go? Did you see down, We look with me, Luke 19? Did you see down in verse 45 where Jesus goes? Luke 19, 45. Where does he go? He goes to the temple. What do you do at a temple? You worship God. And who's working there at the temple? Priests who teach you. And, and what are they doing all the time to make you right with God so you can be in God's presence? Sacrificial system. Where does Jesus go on his coronation day where he's king? He goes to the temple, and what does he do? He kicks everybody out. Jesus doesn't have a, a title. 
Um, he doesn't have an army. He walks into the heartbeat of the city where all the political powers, they have their own soldiers, where there's thousands of people, and he has the chutzpah and the collateral to walk into what's called the court of the Gentiles. Now, the court of the Gentiles was, if you were a Jew, as far as you could go into uh, the presence of God, if you will. The Holy of Holies is the inner sanctum. Only priests can go there. He is here is, if you're not a Jew, which I think that's most of us, Back in the day, this is as close as you can get in to the presence of God. And you're welcome to come and worship the true God. Well, you know in Jesus' day what's been set up there. What does he say? He says, it's written, my house will be a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of robbers, thieves. So what had happened here was several things. First of all, the system, Gentiles for instance. So at this place where you're supposed to be able to come, imagine you're there and you want to worship God. The room you can go into is a farmer's market strip mall. There's feed for animals. There's, there's poop. There's pee. It's loud. You're like, I came to pray and instead I'm getting butted out by people selling livestock. So there's no place to worship. And it's as if the system is saying, we don't even care about you. We don't even care about your worship. You're not one of us. Jesus is mad and he kicks it out. The second thing that's happening there is it's not just different people who are being oppressed. It, to offer a sacrifice, it had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish. Well, imagine if you're poor and you want to offer a dove and you had to walk 30 miles to get there. Um, how's your dove going to look after the 30-mile trip? Okay. How's your livestock going to look after you dragged them this far? No, you're going to need to get temple-supported uh, temple sacrifices that look just right. Oh, and there's a little church. Not only that, you can't use your normal idolatrous money because that has people images on it. You have to use holy temple money. Oh, and there's a little bit of, a, uh, of an upcharge here. And so the system is getting rich on worship that demeans the outsider and demeans the poor. And when Jesus is king, guess where he walks into? He walks into the heart of the city's worship. And he kicks it all out. And some texts show you like he's making a whip or he's kicking over tables. He's really stopped the temple system here for a moment. And it, it's such an interesting verse, what, he says in, what it says in verse 47. He kicks everybody out, and then he replaces it with himself. Verse 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple. He's kicked everybody out, and he's replaced it with himself. But I just want to give you one for today. If Jesus is your king, where do you want him to walk into? I want him to go attack the Romans. Well, I want, him to, I want him to come to my financial situation. I need him to take care of that. Or you, you want him to attack the Romans. I want him to come into this circumstance and make it easier for me. And Jesus isn't going to ride his donkey into there. He comes in peace. Guess where he wants to ride into? He wants to ride into your temple. Who you worship what you live for. He wants to replace all pretenders with himself. He wants to be your teacher. He wants to be the king of your loves. 
of your passions. He's the humble king. He's the savior king. How's he going to do it? Remember, Jesus is basically saying to everybody, crown me or kill me. And guess what their choice is going to be? Guess what their choice is going to be? We would rather kill you. And by the end of the week, Jesus will be on a cross. And the gospel writers show you, amazingly somehow, he ends up on a cross at the same time the Passover lamb is being sacrificed. Why? Jesus is the ultimate king, the humble king, going to renew the temple of your heart through the sacrifice of himself. He's going to die on a cross for your sins. He can do that because he's the perfect sacrifice, the one who lived a perfect life pleasing to the Father. We come with his righteousness. He's the Savior King, and as you see his love and what he's done for you, you in the light of what you deserve from him, he wins your heart, and, and, and what does the New Testament call God's people? You're the temple. We, together, we're the temple where Jesus reigns as our king, as our teacher, the sacrifice who makes us right with God. Do you see it? He's the ultimate king. He's a humble king. He's a savior king who wants to win you through his life, his death, and his resurrection. What does it mean to have him as your king? There's three things in this text worth pointing out. Number one, you got to recognize something. I want to take you uh, into the middle of this chapter, Luke 19, 41. Look what happens before he gets to the temple. Luke 19, 41. When he drew near and saw that he wept over it, and the word there is hard, groaning, kind of weeping. What could make Jesus weep? Look at verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What's happening? Jesus is saying, he's going to happen to the city? Overwhelmed, destroyed. By whom? The Romans. Friends, this happens 40 years later, 70 AD. This happens. And why will they know the horrible justice and wrath of God? It's in verse 44. He says to them, you didn't know the time of your visitation. What does that mean? I came as your king to save you. What does that mean for us today? Anytime you hear the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, anytime you read the pages of his word, it's a day of visitation. 
It's a chance. It's God coming close and saying, I'm here to save you. I'll be your king. I'll take you as you are. I'll forgive you. I'll be yours. Rejoice. Do you want me? And every time it's an opportunity. And many of you know you spend a lot of your time going, no. And for some of you, you're so glad that at one point you went, yes. But the, the sobering warning here, and, and there it is from Jesus, is there's some of us maybe who still haven't gone, yes. And so Jesus is saying, have you seen the time of your visitation, your chance to have me as king? How many times will you say no? How many times will you turn away? I, I don't like to say this. I don't want to say this, but it's, it's right here in the passage. It's right here in the Bible. It's judgment for the father to give his son for you. And to offer you forgiveness and, and the chance to fellowship with him and for us to say, I'd rather kill him than crown him. His justice won't lay dormant forever. So the first thing here in this passage is to recognize your chance to have Jesus. The next thing you need to realize is Jesus is king, Right? Don't you love that Jesus forgives you? I love it. I love it. Jesus is the forgiver, but he's more. He's the forgiving king. Don't you love that Jesus is a friend? He hears your prayers. He's kind. He's with you. I love it. But he's a friend who is a king. Don't you love it that Jesus is a good teacher and you could, man, you could sing, even you can learn financial wisdom in the scriptures. He's a great teacher, but he's a teacher king. And so the, the next thing to recognize is, okay, all right, ask this question. Each one of us, is he my king? Is he your king? Has he ridden in to the temple of your heart and does he sit there? Recognize the, same, the, the second thing to do is to lay down your curly, because that would be awkward. What does it mean for you? Uh, what's the truth behind the symbol? What's it mean for you to lay down your coat? You know, it's real easy for us to have a kind of relationship with God where we're making deals with him. If you'll do this for me, then I'll do that for you. I'll be a little bit religious if you'll help me out over here. Right? Have you ever done that before? I've done that before. Kind of making deals with God. When you, say, when you see Jesus as your king, do, do, are king deal maker kind of people? Well, learn from Jesus and how he responded to his king, the Father in heaven. How does he end the prayer in the garden? Your will be done. What does it mean to lay down your coat? It's to say to Jesus, all I want is you, ultimately. Your will be done. Your will be done. Look at Luke 6.46. Such a simple, confronting question from Jesus. Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? And not do what I tell you. <laughs> Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. You're a great, you're a great teacher. You're a great, and what's his... Thanks. Um, obey me. <laughs> obey me. Lay down your coat. 
recognize it, lay down the code of your heart, and the third one. Third one's surprising. You want to know me as your king, Jesus? We don't think of this usually in the same line of thinking as like obedience. But what were the people doing as Jesus entered into the city? Their hands were raised, they're shouting, they're dancing. Our king is here. Our king is here. And you know, Jesus is saying, you don't really know me the way I want you to know me as your king if you haven't yet where you celebrate me and who I am to you. Uh, there's a psalm, Psalm 47, 6. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we're not sure what it means. But there are other verses where it ought to be clear. Psalm 47, 6. Will you read this with me? Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Okay, some of us are a little slower than others. What do you think this verse wants you to do? I don't know. It's not a performance. It's not a concert. Those who are leading in worship just want you to join them in doing what? Singing praises. Why? 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 Because when you see who he is as king and his love for you, when you see your need for a king, you see the kind of king he is, that he would give himself to you, that he's humble, that he's gentle, that he died for you, that he loves you, that he wants your peace, that he wants your joy, he wants what's good for you. He sent his spirit for you. He's going to come back for you. He's going to renew the earth and enjoy it with you. You're going to inherit with him. He's yours. You're his. How, guess what's going to happen if you see that? It won't be enough to be like, Jesus is king and I love him. That's great. But what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to sing. And that's why the Psalms are like, play cymbals loudly. Play the lyre and the, all these other instruments. We don't know what they are. Shout. Rejoice. Because Jesus has received you. And he's your king. And Jesus is, the hint here is, you still don't know me as you can know me until, until you can open up your heart and be, Yes. You can celebrate it. All right, let's, let's wrap this up. Who's Jesus? The ultimate king. The ultimate king. What else is he like? He's humble. He's kind. He's gentle. He rides a colt. He comes in peace. He's the savior king. He gave his life to win you. How should we respond to him? Recognize the time. Lay down your coat. And rejoice, because Jesus is our King. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.